0: I just want to start off by saying I'm no one special. I'm just a guy who went on a hike this weekend for the sake of going on a hike and came across something weird. I can't stress enough how I didn't go looking for trouble. Hell, I'd never even heard about the Twin Beacons before today. I was just minding my own business when I noticed an abandoned campsite and decided to take a closer look. There were scattered ashes, overturned chairs, and a tent covered in fallen leaves and dirt. It's not what was outside the tent that puzzled me, but what I found inside of it. Inside was a fairly expensive video camera, a little point-and-shoot, three sleeping bags, some radio equipment, clothes, non-perishable food, and piles of paper with everything from transcripts to maps to missing persons posters. It struck me as really bizarre Curiosity getting the better of me I pocketed the cameras and the papers Took them back to my hotel And looked through everything All I can say is I don't know Maybe this is all an elaborate hoax Some kind of prank on steroids But if it was a prank Someone went to a great length to pull it off The sheer amount of time and money they'd have invested into this is phenomenal. All the gear, the footage, the transcripts, I just don't know. I'm not one to believe in this kind of stuff, but at the same time, I can't wrap my head around why anyone would go through this much trouble on the off chance that someone like me would eventually maybe find their stuff. I'm going to share with you what I found in those recordings and some of the transcripts I read real or not you be the judge i'm not still sure myself amelia's camera clip one a bubbly looking young woman with curly dark hair stood holding the camera as though taking a selfie she fixed her bangs pursed her lips and then set the camera down and shuffled back remaining in frame now that her face wasn't obstructing 90 percent of the screen I was able to get a better look at her surroundings. She was inside the tent I'd found, but it looked to be in much better condition than when I saw it. The fabrics looked new, clean, and I couldn't see the shadows of any leaves on the walls of the tent. She clapped her hands together once, as though trying to get my attention, and then started talking. Hi, my name is Amelia Brown, and I'm here to unravel the mystery of the twin beacons of Windergan Mountain. My, she paused and furrowed her brows, looking at something off screen before continuing. Associates and I have done a lot of research on the topic, and coming here in person was the next logical step in our investigation. Why don't you guys come over here and introduce yourselves? A slightly plump woman nervously shuffled forward, her face full of anxiety. She fiddled with a small gold crucifix around her neck. There was an awkwardly long pause as she stared at her feet, seeming unsure about how to proceed. Amelia nudged her. Go ahead, we're recording. Carrie Jackson, I'm, uh, she fumbled with her words. I'm a college student. I'm not from around here. I, uh, I first read about the Twin Beacons online a few years ago and it piqued my interest. It's become a bit of an obsession of mine. I've been gathering up all the info I can to learn more. I met these two on a forum a while back, and we finally decided to meet up and go on this trip together. I'm here for posterity. I'm going to document and write about our experiences on this mountain. Amelia turned to look at someone off camera. You're up. The two women waited for a moment in silence. Amelia rolled her eyes, grabbed the camera, and turned it toward a guy on the other side of the tent. He was sitting on a sleeping bag with a huge, expensive camera resting on his lap. He stared at the two, looking more annoyed than nervous. You need to introduce yourself, hissed Amelia. He looked up only for a moment and said, I'm David. Amelia grunted. Oh my god, David, tell them why you're here. David set his camera down and turned away. Picked up a stack of papers and started shuffling around them as though looking for something. David. He looked over his shoulder, a frown on his face. Just when it seemed like he wasn't going to say anything more, he finally spoke. My brother, when looking for the twin beacons last fall. They never found his body. And I want to know what happened. There said Amelia, satisfied with herself. That wasn't so hard, now, was it? Amelia set the camera back on its stand and took her spot in front and center while Carrie shuffled out of view. She began. Now, in case you've never heard about the Twin Beacons before, let me give you guys some context. Windergan Mountain, as it's known to the locals here, is this pretty standard mountain, right? It's got trees, woodland creatures, it's got hikers and rocks, all that normal mountain stuff. But... It also has a beacon. See, there's an airport nearby, so they put up a radio tower to make sure planes don't crash into it. The beacon's right at the top of the mountain and can be seen from the city constantly flashing on and off. Seeing as there's fuck all to see around here as far as landmarks go, hikers like to trek up the mountain and write their names on the radio tower. It's all pretty standard stuff, right? Get to the point, growled David. Yeah, I'm getting there, fuckface, replied Amelia. She took a deep breath, regained her sly smile, and continued, her tone dropping as though telling a spooky story around a campfire. Thing is, on dark and cold nights, it's been reported that a second beacon sometimes appears. Some see it as a light, some pick it up as a radio signal. People who've gone searching for it have all been reported missing. Carrie came back in view, holding a file folder brimming with papers. She added, And it's not just one or two people hearing about the beacon, either. There's, she flipped through the papers, a ton of reports mentioning the second beacon. We've got eyewitness reports, transcripts from both air traffic controllers and search and rescue workers, as well as phone records of people who've reportedly called loved ones from the mountain and just suddenly stopped talking. There's also a few dozen missing person cases we think are all related. David spoke from across the tent. The camera remained on Carrie and Amelia. We were able to get the phone company to give my brother's location data for the last few days before he went missing. His phone pinged at the cell tower nearest to this side of the mountain. That's why we set up camp here. Atticus's was ATC transcript. Carrie murmured as she flipped through her file folder. Two, right? David answered. Flight two hundred eighty five, yeah. He was on the phone with me when it happened. I uh I remember hearing the engine overhead. Amelia, looking almost insulted that the intention was being stolen from her, cleared her throat and continued. What my associates are trying to say is that we managed to find a direct correlation between some of the disappearances and a few weird airplane traffic controller transcripts we got our hands on. We believe these prove that the phenomena, whatever it is, is being captured by multiple sources at once. For instance, one victim, Atticus Johnson, was on the phone with David here when he went missing. Atticus reported following the light of the twin beacon. At the same time, Flight 285 was coming in for landing at the airport and caught on their radar. This kind of thing happening on multiple occasions. Samantha Howard's disappearance coincides with ATC Transcript 1, Atticus's with Transcript 2, and Henry Kirby's with Transcript 3. Take a look at the mysterious transcripts for yourself. There was a pause as the professional expression on Amelia's face melted off like a news anchor going on break. She turned to Carrie and motioned to the papers. We'll edit the transcripts here and have someone do a voiceover, she said. Okay, replied Carrie. Amelia stretched her arm toward the camera and stopped recording. Naturally, their montage wasn't part of the footage, so I dug through their things until I found the transcripts they were talking about. I'm sure they must have had a digital copy stored somewhere, but all I had were paper printouts, so I had to retype them all myself. Air Traffic Controller, Transcript 1, Flight WD-590. Ground, this is WD-590. Do you read? Roger, WD-90. Ground, can you confirm that you see us on your radar? Roger, we see you. Maintain present heading and lower your altitude. Ground, can you confirm you want us to lower our altitude now? Roger, you should be clearing the mountains. You'll be seeing our light soon. That can't be right, Captain. We've got to change our heading. WD-590, you're veering off course. Ground, we were headed straight for the second NDB. We're course correcting to avoid the obstacle. WD-590, there's only one NDB. Please return to your original trajectory and maintain heading 090. Ground, according to your equipment, you're going to run us into the mountain. WD-590, you do not need course correct. Please change your heading back to 090. Oh, it's gone. WD-590, please change your heading to 090. Roger ground. We seem to have experienced technical difficulties with our equipment. We're coming in now. Air Traffic Controller, Transcript 2, Flight 285. Ground, this is Flight 285, requesting permission to land. Over. Flight 285, you're clear to land on Runway 3. Flight 285, coming in for a landing. Over. Flight 285, landed. Perfectly fine. Alright, we're pulling into the terminal now. Whew, looks like we're at the right place after all. Over. Pardon? (laughs) they didn't tell us you installed a new directional beacon back there in the mountains. I fly here every week. Threw me for a loop. Worried I might have veered off course and wound up in another county for a second there. Over. Air traffic control can be heard whispering to someone. Flight 285, there's just one beacon in the mountains. Guess you didn't get the memo either. (laughs) Air traffic controller, transcript 3, flight TH876. After takeoff, flight 876 contacts air traffic controllers ground. I'm picking up a blip on my radar. Anything coming my way? No, TH-876. Skies are clear. You sure? No light aircrafts en route? I'm definitely picking up something. Nothing I can see, TH-86. Birds, maybe? Wait, never mind. It's gone. It's probably just an atmospheric reflection. While I can't confirm these transcripts are real, I did look up the names of the missing persons Amelia mentioned, and they checked out. That said, if this was a hoax, the pranksters could have easily cherry picked a few names of missing persons posters in town and made up the story about the disappearances happening around the same time as the air traffic controller transcripts. The next clip seemed to be of early next morning, with Amelia alone outside the tent filming the treetops. Amelia's Camera Clip 2 Did you see that? She whispered. She'd set her camera on night vision mode, so the image was all black and white. It was hard to tell what she was thinking about until her hand came into view and pointed at one of the trees. The camera shifted its focus from the background to her hand, but I was able to make out a blurry spot blinking on and off in the distance. She dropped her hand and the focus returned to the background. The blinking light now clearly visible. That is the real beacon. But look here. She turned about 90 degrees to the right. Another light was visible beyond the trees. I can't believe I'm actually seeing it. I woke up from a sore jaw, came out here to stretch my legs, and now I'm seeing it. I'm seeing the second beacon. Her voice was brimming with excitement. She turned to the tent, and it was still and quiet. Guys, wake up! Guys, you're gonna miss it! She said. She lowered the camera. I could hear footsteps and the sound of a zipper being pulled. The camera then showed the inside of the tent, where Carrie and David were sleeping. Guys! She hissed. Wake up, you lazy fox! This is what we came here for! Carrie turned over, rubbed her eyes, and glanced at Amelia. What? Amelia groaned. The beacon, damn it. David, not moving an inch, replied, It's out there? Yes. Really? said Carrie. Yes, come on. David sat up, looking tired as he reached for his glasses. Give me a minute, I'll be right out. I can imagine Amelia rolling her eyes at this. She was sounding more impatient by the minute. I'll go on ahead, I don't want to miss this. Amelia huffed, closing the tent flap in an irritated motion. She immediately started running toward the trees, even as Carrie called out to her. Wait for us! Amelia didn't care. She turned the camera toward herself and put on her reporter face as she jogged away. This is Amelia Brown, your intrepid Twin Beacons Investigator. As I speak, I'm on my way up to the north face of Windergan Mountain, following the light of the mysterious second beacon that first appeared to me approximately three minutes ago at 5.13am. My associates are still at base camp, but will be following suit momentarily. I cannot tell you how excited I feel right now to be on the cusp of unraveling the mystery. The camera jerked violently to the right, and Amelia let out a small scream as she lowered it and came to a stop. The ground was a mix of moss and fallen leaves. She took a few moments to catch her breath, then pointed the camera toward the light in the trees. Gotta be careful. Morning dew made the ground slippery, she whispered to herself. She started jogging again, but this time took it a bit slower. She did her best to keep the camera pointed towards the light, but with each footstep the picture bobbed up and down, making the scene a blurry mess. Each time I watched this part of the video, I had to close my eyes and just focus on her voice, otherwise I'd get dizzy. Having fast-forwarded through it, however, I could tell it was just the light between the trees for about ten minutes while she panted and bantered about this and that. It was only when the jogging slowed to a walk that she started talking in her reporter voice again. She was standing in a clearing with the light shining through the trees ahead of her. There it is just up ahead, beyond the next row of trees. I don't know what I'll find there, but you and I will be the first to see. She took a deep breath. I wondered if she was having second thoughts. Maybe part of her wanted to wait for her friends. Who knows? She didn't move for a few moments, then finally started closing the gap. There's something in the air, she said in a breathy voice. Feels like Static. The closer I get to the beacon, the stronger it gets. It's like, it's like... She paused, emitting a pensive hum. That ball thing at the science museum. The one that makes your hair go straight. Or like rubbing a balloon on your shirt and bringing it to your head. I can feel my hair rising. Goosebumps and everything. She turned the camera toward herself. Indeed, a few tendrils of hair slowly wafted upward. Instead of worrying her, it made her giggle. That is so weird. It's like a current or something. I can feel a current through my body. Amelia ran a hand through her hair, and even more strands lifted to try and high-five the sky. She broke out to laughter, but the laughter came to a quick stop. There was the sound of rustling leaves ahead of her. David? Carrie? She asked, ignoring the fact that There was no way her friends could have beaten her there. She turned the camera towards the woods. It was shaking too much to see clearly, but something was there. Something jumped out from behind the trees. What the fuck is that? Amelia screamed. She turned tail and started running, camera aimed carelessly at the ground. I tried pausing the video and replaying the scene in slow motion, but the figure was too blurry to make out. All I could tell was that it was very tall, easily able to rescue a kitten in a tree without needing a ladder. I could hear Amelia breathing heavily as she half ran, half slid down the unbeaten path. From what I could gather, she either tripped on a rock or slipped on moss because she suddenly and violently tumbled to the ground with a fearful shriek. There was a crack as she landed camera continued to tumble alone until it finally came to a stop, a bit of dirt now streaked across the lens. Amelia was still partially visible, the upper half of her torso, arms, and head in the frame. She was facing away from the camera, but it was clear that she was unconscious. Nothing happened for a few minutes. Then I began to hear a sound like something heavy being dragged across the floor got louder and louder until it sounded as though it was right next to the camera. Something tugged on Amelia's body, and what I saw... it's hard to describe. She slowly started to dissolve into thin air. It was like watching a real-life PowerPoint slide transition. Her body became pixelated with static. She dissipated, A few remaining Amelia pixels scattered like snow in the breeze. The dragging sound started up again, but this time it grew more distant. The camera flipped the empty spot for a good twenty minutes before voices could be heard. She must have gone this way, said Carrie. This is where the signal was coming from before it stopped. Amelia! shouted David. Oi, call out if you can hear us! Amelia! There, look! Carrie knelt down in front of the camera and picked it up. She had a cheap point shoot camera around her neck and a small emergency radio in her free hand. She turned Amelia's camera over, examining it closely. She must have dropped it. David came into view, holding the fancier camera I'd seen him using earlier in their tent. He looked at Amelia's muddy screen and wiped it against his sleeve. It's still recording, he said. Carrie looked around nervously. Where did she go? Why did she leave it? Let's watch the playback. Maybe, maybe we can see what happened. That's all the footage I found on the first camera. I still have some transcripts to type up, so I'll share what was on the second device. I'll be talking about Carrie's camera tomorrow. After seeing what was on Amelia's camera, I uploaded the files from Carrie's little point-and-shoot. The video quality wasn't as good, but I got to see more of what unfolded before and after Amelia's disappearance. While Amelia was filming for footage for what I assumed was a documentary or a report of some sort, Carrie's focus seemed to be on what was going on behind the scenes. There were a few clips of her in the car with David and Amelia, a pit stop to buy some snacks, and a few short scenes of them building the tent. Nothing of that would be of any interest to you guys until the campfire scene, so that's where I'll start you off. Carrie's camera, clip one. David was standing on the other side of the fire near the edge of the tree line where they'd set up camp. As far as I could tell, he was recording footage of... trees? Damned if I know. Amelia was sitting on a fold-up chair, roasting marshmallows. Judging by how I could see Carrie's arm, and only her arm, as well as an empty chair across the fire, I figured the camera was set on a tripod somewhere between her and Amelia in the hopes of capturing both the fire and her two friends in frame. Amelia pulled her marshmallow from the flame, blew it out, ripped off the burnt husk, and tossed it into her mouth. She chewed, swallowed, dipped the marshmallow back into the fire, and then finally spoke. Did I ever tell you about the George and Allie LeClaire case? Carrie's arm inched forward. What? No. I don't think I've heard those names. David rotated slightly towards the two. His interest had been piqued, but it was almost as though he didn't want to show it. Amelia leaned back in her seat, enjoying another burnt husk. She had one of those self-satisfied grins on her face. That's because it was never... Officially tied to the lore of the Twin Beacons. They found Allie's body, and George is alive and well today. Well, sort of. He's in prison. But still, before he confessed to the murder of his wife, he had an interesting story to tell. One I can't help but think is related. What happened? asked Carrie. Okay. So, my uncle's on the force, right? A few years ago, he tells me about the LeClaire case. According to Mr. George Leclerc's original statement to the police, he and his wife are on a stroll on the hiking trail near here, right? So George says his wife notices a light in the trees. It's just a radio tower, he tells her, but she's like, no, we can't see it on this side of the mountain. It's got to be something else. And he's like, it's just a tower. Let's go home. But she insists on checking it out, right? So George reluctantly follows her. He says things start feeling really weird. He's got a plate in his leg from surgery or something, and he says it starts to radiate, like it's burning, right? So, he tells his wife to stop, and he pulls up his pant leg, but Allie keeps walking. He claims he can feel the thing vibrating under his skin. Suddenly, his wife screams and starts to run. Startled, he follows after her, but she twists her ankle and falls down a cliff. He tries to climb down after her, but his leg's hurting too much, so he starts to hobble down the path, hoping to get to a ranger station. He hears something behind him, turns and says there's some kind of monster standing there in the trees. He books it, makes it to the ranger station and tells them what happened. By then, the pain in his leg is gone and he starts to walk normally. They rush back to his wife and find her body. One guy checks out the cliff. Guess what he found? Carrie shrugged. I I don't know. What? Amelia curled her fingers in a menacing claws. Scratch marks all along the edge. The one ranger sees the big old bruise on George's leg. Right where his plate was. So, he figures George was trying to push Allie over the edge and she was trying to claw herself back up. Put up a fight and all. Thanks. Allie Sally grabbed his leg so tight it left a mark, and he kicked her off for good. Next thing he knows, George is being arrested, suspected for murder. Carrie frowned. What happened next? Amelia shrugged. George LeClaire maintained his innocence at first, but after hours of questioning by the police, finally admitted to pushing his wife over the edge. What do you think happened? asked Carrie. Amelia answered, I don't know about things going bump in the night, but it's pretty clear that Allie saw the second beacon, and something spooked her. Trails can get slippier around here. People fall. There's nothing too unbelievable about that. On the other hand, I can't imagine why George would change his story and admit to pushing Allie if it didn't happen. So I don't know. Is it a case of the mysterious twin beacons, or just a shitty husband? David took a seat on the other side of the fire, looking at the flames coldly. I knew George and Allie LeClaire. There's no way he pushed her. I've seen nicer people do shittier things. David turned away. You know, I've seen the beacon once, said Amelia. Carrie gasped. Really? Amelia nodded. I was really young. It was Christmas Eve. I was sitting by the window hoping to see Santa flying overhead. Dad told me to go to bed, so I went to my room and opened the blinds. I could see the mountain from my room. In the middle of the night, I felt this tingling feeling in my mouth. I used to get cavities a lot as a kid because I loved sugar and hated brushing my teeth. I had these ugly fillings in almost all of my molars. At night, I could swear I could hear the radio through them. Not like a radio channel or anything, just like just like a static buzz. I opened my eyes and saw two lights on the mountain. I knew about the radio tower, but I'd never heard of the twin beacons at that point. I thought the second light was Santa's magical sleigh. I looked at it for at least an hour, blinking on and off, thinking Santa would be here soon as the light never moved. Eventually, as it went out was so disappointed it wasn't him Carrie laughed isn't that beacon supposed to be yellow if it was Santa's sleigh shouldn't it have been red you know from Rudolph's nose Amelia rolled her eyes and shrugged whatever I was a dumb kid what about you David did you ever see the beacon asked Carrie David's eyes hadn't left the fire he looked miles away, but still answered, Carrie, just once. The day Atticus went missing. It wasn't even late at night or anything. It was in the middle of the day, and I was walking home from my part-time job. I could have sworn I saw a faint glimmer off in the distance. Then I got a call from Atticus. He told me he'd been roaming in the mountain trying to find the beacon, and he was getting close said he picked up a weird radio signal on his receiver. I could hear it buzzing in the background as he spoke. It just sounded like interference to me, but he insisted it meant something. I heard a plane engine overhead, and then he started screaming. I tried to ask him what was wrong, but he just kept screaming louder and louder until the line went dead. I kept hearing the interference on his radio for a few minutes, then it went back to white noise. Carrie seemed to shudder, or at least her arm did. That's... She paused and shuffled in her seat. Pretty chilling, actually. I mean, I've read everything posted online about the Twin Beacons, but it's different hearing from people who've actually experienced it firsthand, you know? It's one thing to read a transcript, but to know that you 100% for sure heard your brother like that... Gives me goosebumps. I mean a lot of the transcripts we've read were pretty convincing, but it's even more convincing when you can look someone in the eye and say tell you what happened, you know? Amelia tossed a marshmallow into the fire, leaving it to bubble and boil on one of the logs. Honestly, some of the testimonies creep me out more than I care to admit. You wouldn't think words on a paper could keep you up at night, but they can. Which one creeped you out the most? Asked Carrie Angler Replied Amelia That got a reaction Even out of David Whose eyes twitched lightly With the response Carrie's voice cracked As she answered Oh god Angler David got up And walked to the tent I'm going to bed The two girls were silent For a while All I he could hear Was the fire crackling Eventually, they changed the subject and started talking about school. Curious, I combed through their research for any reference to the Angler story. I found it in an alleged transcript between a ranger and a lost hiker named Sam. I've taken the liberty to cut to the relevant section. Ranger Station, Transcript 7. Alright, just stay where you are, we'll come and find you. Can you describe where you are? Uh, a clearing do you see any landmarks we can use to narrow things down Uh, there's a big maple tree, the rest look like cedars, I think I don't see or hear any streams nearby oh, and there's a radio tower to my right the tower's to your right perfect, that means you're on the south face of the mountain wait, no, there's, there's another tower on my left There's only one tower, sir. Uh, No, there's, there's definitely two. I can see both their lights blinking. There's one on the left and one on the right. I think you might be confused. Is one of the lights moving? It's probably a plane. I know the difference between a radio tower and a plane, thank you very much. The lights aren't moving. It's definitely a cell tower or something. I can only just see through the branches. It's a fucking tower, I tell you. Alright, please, settle down, okay? Take a seat. Do you have water on you? I think you might be getting dehydrated. I'm not hallucinating if that's what you're implying. Sir, please, calm down. I'm just trying to keep you safe and healthy until we can get to you. Ah, fuck. Sir, please, just take a seat. It'll be harder to find you if you keep moving. I'm not moving. Don't you hear that? Hear what? That ringing. Fuck! Ah! Fuck! Sir, are you alright? Fuck! 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 Sir, are you injured? Ah, Fuck! It feels like... Sir? Like a microwave inside my head. Ah, Fuck! Sir, please sit down. Take a deep breath. I need you to tell me where the radio tower is in relation to you. There should be just one light. Concentrate. Which side is it on? We've got crews out there looking for you as we speak, but if you can help me narrow down where you... Fuck! Sir, please. Any information you can give will greatly increase our chances of finding you quicker. Uh, Can't you hear it? Fuck, fuck, fuck. I can feel it in my bones. I can... I can feel it in my skull. My head is bleeding. Help is on the way, sir. Please lay down. Like like an angler. What? Uh, uh, Angler. Sir, are you still with me? Station to all teams. I think our victim might be suffering from a stroke. Please alert me as soon as you find him and I'll dispatch the medical team. He's in a clearing with oak trees and a single maple. Possibly on the south side of the mountain, but I'm not positive. One maple? I think I know where that is. It's on the north side. Freaking tourist. Can't stay on the trail. At least bring a compass. How close are you to the location? An hour out. I think Delta Team's closer. Delta Team, do you read? Delta Team, copy. Rickersfield? Yeah, I'll be there in five. Thanks, Delta Team. Let me know if you find him. The radio was silent for approximately seven minutes. What the hell, guys? Is this a prank? Delta Team, did you find him? There's no one here. Just, oh, God, that smell. I think I'm going to be sick. Delta Team, what's what's going on? It's just, just gray matter, I think. Just a walkie on the ground and, is that gray matter? Oh my god, I've never seen anything like this. I'm dispatching a medical team to your location, Delta team. Please keep looking around. He should be nearby. The transcript continued for another 20 or so pages, with the various teams forming a search grid around the area and trying to find Sam. They eventually widened the perimeter, but they never found any traces beyond what was in the clearing. I could see why this transcript had resonated most with the trio researching the beacons. I can honestly say that out of everything I found in their tent, this transcript was the most disturbing. Not only because of its content, but because of how long and detailed it was. If this whole thing was really a hoax, why would they have written page upon page of Pointless conversations. It would have made more sense just to write a snippet of the incident, you know, about the length of what I retyped here, but that's not what they did. They went all out on this. Why would anyone spend that much time on pointless details no one would ever read? The next clip on Carrie's camera recorded what happened after Amelia left the camp early in the morning. Carrie's camera. Clip 2 you believe she bailed on us like that? Mumbled Carrie. David replied with a simple Yes, I can. Are you taking your camera? Yeah. Carrie sighed and reached for the radio receiver by her sleeping bag. I could only see via her arms and only whenever she moved them in front of her, leading me to think she had the camera strapped securely to her chest. Wherever she held it, it was a lot more stable than how Amelia had held hers. Or I don't know, maybe the crabby point-and-shoot's image stabilizer was somehow more efficient than Amelia's. The two left the tent and circled around their camp. Where did she say the beacon was coming from? asked Carrie. David, a few steps ahead of her, shrugged. Carrie pulled out the antenna on the radio receiver. She panned around it in slow circles until it caught the sound of interference. The noise actually made David stop in his tracks and look at Carrie. His expression was grim and serious. That way, said Carrie as she pointed to the right. David started jogging. Carrie picked up the pace and tried to keep up, but she was quick to run out of breath. At some point, David looked over his shoulder and saw that she'd fallen behind. Never once stopped to help her, but he did slow down enough for her to catch up. Soon, they were side by side, calling Amelia's name. Not much was said in between the two, in the time it took for them to track down the beacon. David asked, Are we still going the right way? I think so. The radio signal went dead about five minutes ago. She must have gone this way. This is where the signal was coming from before it stopped. David turned his head left to right over and over like a dog wagging its tail. Amelia! Oi! Call out if you can hear us! Amelia! I could see Amelia's camera on the ground and found myself trying to will Carrie to notice it even though I knew from Amelia's footage that she would. There, look! She must have dropped it, she said as she picked up the camera and started turning it over. David pulled his sleeve down and stretched his arm close to Carrie's camera that had blocked the shot. His arm jerked a little as it moved in circular motions. It's still recording. Where'd she go? Why did she leave it? "'Let's watch the playback,' answered David. "'Maybe we can see what happened.'" Carrie fiddled with the camera, first mumbling about the sloppy controls, then finding the right combination. The two huddled together and watched Amelia's final moments in complete silence. Not a gasp of surprise escaped either of their lips. "'Okay,' said Carrie, letting out a nervous laugh. "'You two are messing with me, right?' right?" She turned to David, whose face had gone white as a sheet, yet he looked more perplexed than scared. No, I had no part of this, he whispered. He looked around and squinted, his hand cupped over his chin and mouth. He knelt on the ground and curiously felt the disturbed soil where Amelia had fallen. His perplexed expression was slowly giving way to fear. I'm the one that picked the location. There's no way she could have filmed this ahead of time to mess with us, and no way she had the time to edit the footage and and the time it took us to find her camera. People don't just poof, David. That doesn't happen. Obviously it is, he answered. Her camera must have had some kind of special effects button. David shook his head. It doesn't. Carrie threw her arms up aggressively. How would you know? You're not some kind of camera wizard master guy. You don't know? David quirked a brow. You know I do video editing for a living, right? That, he pointed to Amelia's camera, used to be mine. I sold it to her last year when I upgraded. Trust me, it doesn't have a special effects button. Carrie started pacing back and forth. I could hear her letting out a few concerned groans like she was trying to come to terms with everything. When she spoke next, her voice cracked like that of a nerd hitting puberty. This isn't what's supposed to happen. What did you expect? We're investigating something that caused dozens of disappearances. Dozens. Maybe more, said David. Though his words were harsh, his tone wasn't sharp. He even gave her the closest thing to a sympathetic smile that he could manage. Did you think we were going to find a secret oasis where everyone's still alive and well and surrounded by kittens? Carrie's voice continued to waver. No, but... She let out a choked sob. I thought we were going to maybe see the beacon. Look at it from a safe distance. I wanted to see it in person, that's all. I I just wanted to be a part of something. She took a step back and turned around. I don't want to do this anymore. Let's go back. Sorry, but I'm seeing this through, replied David. My car keys are in the front pocket of my backpack. You can take them and drive yourself back to town. Carrie let out another sob. Her camera was starting to shake, and I could see drops falling in front of the lens. David, please. I'm scared to go alone. You've waited a year to find out what happened to your brother. Hell, you know what happened now. You saw what happened to Amelia. Please, please, please just walk me down the mountain. You don't have to come back if you don't want to. But at least take me down. All right. I'll bring you back to camp. I can show you the trail from there. Gary said nothing more. The two started walking back with nothing but a few stray sobs interrupting the silence. Carrie turned off the camera about halfway to the tent. I don't know what happened between the two after that or how much time had passed, but the next and final clip on Carrie's camera suggested Carrie get over her fears. Carrie's camera, clip three. All I could see when Carrie turned on her camera was the tent floor and a fraction of her hiking boots. Shoot, she mumbled. What's wrong? He answered David. The camera beeped twice. Battery's almost dead. You wouldn't happen to have a spare, would you? She turned the camera upright and fixed it on David, who was wearing different clothes now. He looked like he was in a rush, grabbing a few electronics and stuffing them in his pockets. Every now and then he peered out of the tent and towards the sky. He glanced at her for a moment and then shook his head. I do, but they won't work on your model. David turned on the radio receiver and aimed it toward whatever he was looking at outside. The familiar sound of static interference flooded the room. It's time. Are you ready? Asked David. I think so camera beeped again. Carrie cursed. Damn it. This battery's going to... That was it. That was the last of the footage the camera caught before it died. Obviously, Carrie left her point and shoot behind, since I found it with her belongings. I'm not sure if Amelia's camera was out of juice too, or if Carrie just didn't think to take it. As far as I can tell, the two saw the twin beacon and were either getting ready to run to it, or run from it. I'm inclined to think they were going to it, personally. Otherwise, Carrie wouldn't have left her camera behind. So I'm sitting here now, unable to get this out of my head. Unable to figure out if this whole thing is a hoax played on me, or them, or if it's all real. Wondering if the footage and all these transcripts and testimonials I still haven't finished sifting through are legitimate or some sick joke. I can't shake the feeling that if I could just get my hands on David's camera, I'd get all the answers I need. Of course, David's camera is the only one that was missing from the tent. Call me crazy, but I'm going back to Windrigan Mountain tomorrow, and I'm going to try and find that camera. If it's all a hoax, I've got nothing to worry about. However, if there's any truth to what I've seen, then maybe I can find the camera somewhere and get some answers. It took a while, but I found it. I found David's camera. I hiked up Windergan Mountain, home of the Twin Beacons, all the way to the campground where I tried to retrace David and Carrie's steps took a few days and I almost gave up but I found myself obsessing over the tapes and transcripts every night wanting no needing answers needing closure the weird thing is when I found it the camera wasn't lost in a ditch or buried under a blanket of leaves where no one would ever hope to find it it was standing solidly on a tripod on one side of a small sand clearing Went at the tree line on the other side. It had taken quite the beating from the elements. The tripod was starting to rust, and the camera's plastic casing had become bloated. Honestly, I kind of lost hope when I found it, but I still took it back to my hotel room and pried it open. By some miracle, the memory card was still in good condition. This is what was on the video. And I think you'll understand later why, unlike Carrie's footage, I'm going to describe all of its contents to you. David's camera, clip one. Amelia and Carrie were chatting in the background as David took a panoramic shot of Windrigan Mountain. It looked to be early morning. The radio tower could be seen on the south side, its beacon bleaking normally. A few birds flew overhead and David followed them. David's camera, clip two. Again, Carrie and Amelia were having a discussion while David filmed the scenery. Based on the lighting, not much time had passed between the first video and this one. They were probably still close to the base of the mountain. His camera zoomed in and out of branches, focusing on squirrels, birds, nests, and a few butterflies. At some point, he even zoomed in on an anthill, leading me to wonder what the heck he was doing. David remained as silent as he'd been in the other videos, not explaining himself. I'm not sure if his intention was to eventually dub the footage. David's camera, clip three. They were at the campsite now, but the tent hadn't been set up yet. David zoomed in on an empty nest on the other side of the encampment and then panned the camera over the forest floor. If we want to see the beacon from up close, we should sleep up here tonight, he said. No, we should go higher, answered Amelia. David continued to film the ground, but I'd seen enough of Amelia in the other videos to know exactly the annoyed expression she must have been wearing as he said this. No, protested David. This is the place. Amelia snorted. What, the ancient ruins of your alien overlords told you where we had to stay? David replied. No, I just... I just know. A beetle skittered into view. David followed it. Amelia groaned. We're not high enough. If we see the beacon, it's going to take forever to hike up to it from here. By then, it'll probably be gone and we'll miss our only chance. That ground's pretty level here, said Carrie meekly as she came to David's defense. It's a good place to set up camp. We probably won't find a nicer spot than this. Let's just do it. Fine, but don't expect me to wait for you guys while David lugs his heavy-ass camera around and you lug your, well, heavy ass after him. If I see the beacon, I'm dumping you bitches and I'm going for it. I'm not missing my opportunity to see it up close. You don't need to be rude about it, mumbled David. Amelia answered. It's whatever. Carrie, I'm sorry. Look, David, you want to set up camp here? Fine. Fine. Put that camera away, and let's start building the tent. I'll get the poles ready. David's camera, clip four. It was nighttime, and the girls could be heard talking by the crackling fire. David, as I'd seen from Carrie's footage, was filming the trees again. Always the damn trees. As usual, Amelia was the first to speak. So do you remember the first story you read about the Twin Beacons? Oh, yeah. It wasn't anything special, actually. It was the, uh, coyote eye testimonial. David, I think your brother was the one who interviewed her, right? Asked Carrie. Yeah. He, uh, he interviewed a lot of people. Amelia snorted. That's <laughs> an understatement. Your brother was fucking obsessed. If you think you squashed all three of us into one, we'd still be less obsessed than Atticus was. Which one was coyote eye again? The girl who started Carrie. Shadow Lady, interrupted Amelia. Yeah, Shadow Lady, agreed Carrie. Amelia laughed. If you ask me, she was hell a loco. Not as crazy as that naked guy the rangers found, Carrie replied. Oh my god, I totally forgot about him. What was his name? Terry? Trenton? Trevor, said David. He played around with his camera setting, making the image clearer as he combed the forest for signs of something. Right, Trevor. Holy fuck, that guy. Do you know he actually came into the pizza shop one time after it happened? Awkward. I hear he's in the nut house nowadays. She paused. The night was quiet whenever she shut her mouth. Silence didn't last. Did I ever tell you about George and Allie LeClaire case? I figured you want to know about Shadow Lady and Naked Guy, so I found their transcripts and typed them up for you. Again, I can't stress how unbelievable it is to me that anyone would bother making up all this extra stuff. There are still dozens of more testimonials and transcripts I didn't bother sharing because the trio never mentioned them. I can't imagine anyone having that much time on their hands. Anyway, here's Kaio's testimonial and the transcript of Trevor's run-in with the Rangers. Witness Testimony 11 Kaio Kaio, could you please tell me what happened on the day you saw the second beacon? Of course, but you're not going to believe me. No one does. Everyone I've spoken to about this looks at me like I'm crazy. I promise I won't judge you. I just want to know what happened. Alright. That night my friends and I were a little drunk. I don't know what possessed us to do it, but we decided it'd be a great idea to climb up to Mount Windgarden and sign our names on the radio tower. I mean, I know it's tradition, and I always wanted to do it, but maybe it wasn't the best idea to do it shit-faced drunk at two in the morning. I've done worse. <laughs> so, you guys climbed the mountain? Yeah, sorta. We got up about halfway when my friend realized we hadn't brought any markers with us. This guy we were with said he could just pee on the tower instead, but we were like, nah, that's gross, let's just go back. We started walking back down the trail, but then my friend saw the littlest light to our left. Second radio tower, we figured. We were closer to that one, so my friend dared me to run to it, touch it, and run back. And did you agree to? At first, no. No. But then he sweetened the pot by promising 20 bucks, and I was like, sure. I'd never heard of the Twin Beacons before, so I didn't know this was supposed to be a scary thing. And it didn't look that far away. Drunken death perception kind of got the better of me there. I ended up walking for a pretty long time, long enough to sober up a bit. Or maybe it wasn't that long. I don't know. I just remember I was really drunk and stumbling around, and then I started feeling less drunk, but... At the same time, not feeling quite right. Like I could hear static in my head. Twenty bucks or not, I was done. I just wanted to get back to the trail and find my friends. So you turned around? Yeah, I started walking back, but when I did, I heard branches breaking behind me. I was sure someone was about to jump out at me with a chainsaw. I didn't know what to do, so... I screamed. And did anyone chase you with a chainsaw? <laughs> no, I just realized it was probably a squirrel or something. I mean, I guess they must have been asleep at that hour because I hadn't seen any running around, but I figured I must have woken one up. So I turned around and checked. It wasn't a squirrel, it wasn't a chainsaw murderer wasn't my friends playing a prank on me? It was you're you're gonna call me crazy. I promise you, I won't there were There were moving shadows, I think looked like more than just one, but it might have just been really big, just a row of shadows behind the trees watching me swaying side to side. Yeah, I definitely remember feeling like I was being watched. Couldn't they have been plants? No. Yes, maybe, I I don't know. The shape was... it, it, It didn't look like a plant to me. Besides, plants don't make twigs snap. Plants don't slowly back away and disappear. Look, I know how this sounds. I know I sound crazy, and I know I was drunk, but I also know I wasn't imagining it. Is that all? Yeah. You think I'm crazy, don't you? I don't think you're crazy. Thank you for your time. I'll stop the recording here, okay? Ranger Stations, Transcript 9. Ranger Station, this is Tara. Do you copy? I copy. What's up, Tara? I've got a 40-something Caucasian male here in need of assistance. Answers to the name Trevor. Found him running down the E9 trail. Should I dispatch a medical team to your location? Negative. He doesn't appear to be injured. He's alert and responsive. We're on our way to you. I could use a spare coat and pants, though. Can you get one from the locker room? Spare coat and pants? Yeah, he's, uh... He's completely butt naked. Why do these things always happen to me when I'm on duty? I hate to ask, but... Do you know why he's naked? He said it was to scare the monster away. (laughs) I'm sure he scared away a few people. I'm sure he did. Okay, we're about ten minutes out. I'll see you soon. I'll have an outfit laid out for him. Hope I can find something that matches. Five minutes pass. Ranger Station, this is Tara. You still there? Yep, got a fabulous outfit waiting for your friend. That's great. Can you get one of the medics to the station to look this guy over? He's getting. It tried to get me. I saw it in the trees. Didn't you see it? It made the deer run. It made all the deer run. It didn't get me. I didn't let it get me. Tara, do you need a hand? Trevor, buddy, calm down. It's okay. You fooled the big bad monster. You're safe now. Now, let's get you warmed up. Ranger Station, I've got you in my sight. Can you come herd the cattle? Coming out. There was a note under the transcript saying a trail of camouflage, clothes, and a shotgun were found later in the forest headed toward the hiking trail. They were identified as belonging to Trevor and were returned to him. The next clip on David's camera showed the search for Amelia, but like all of his other footage, he wasn't focusing on people, but on the trees. You already know what happened, so I'll skip to when Carrie shut her camera off. David's camera, clip 5. Okay, we are safe now, said David. Carrie sniffled. How do you you know? He stretched out his hand and pointed to the tree he was filming as they walked. The bird's nest. What? There was something in the videos I hadn't noticed until David pointed it out. A clear contrast between the footage recorded at the bottom of the mountain and what was recorded closer to the beacon. "'Have you noticed it?' asked David. "'Noticed what?' replied Carrie. "'David stopped. "'The animals. They can sense it. "'Have not you noticed how quiet it's gotten?' "'Carrie's footsteps stopped, too. "'She listened. "'She probably strained her ears to try and make out even a single sound. "'I know I did, but it was dead quiet. "'There were no crickets.' Chirping, no birds cawing, and no squirrels skittering through the trees. Come to think of it, when I'd come across their tent, there was still food inside. Not a single animal had ransacked the place to eat it. The camera turned 180 degrees. David's arm stretched out again. There's no nests over there. The birds know it's dangerous. I think there's some sort of electromagnetic field spooking them. Spooking all the animals. And the bugs. They won't get close. You can feel it too, can't you? I thought it was just the willies, whispered Carrie. David replied, It's not just the willies. There's something in the air. But we're safe here. There aren't a lot of creatures, but I just saw a mosquito fly by and there's a nest up there, so I'm sure we're not in range anymore. As long as we stay out of range, we're safe. So... What do you say? Want to stick around and see what happens the next time the beacon comes out? For the first time, David pointed his camera at her. Her eyes were red from crying. Her nose was puffy, but her tears had dried. David, how on earth did you figure this out? My brother, Atticus. You know he was obsessed with the twin beacons. He recorded all his interviews. I watched every single one a dozen times. Read the transcripts over and over until I noticed a pattern. The animals. There were never any animals. I think Atticus realized it too. Remember the interview with Jorn? Yeah, he's the... She scrunched her nose. Fisherman, right? Yes. Yes. There wasn't much to his testimony, but Atticus still kept the recording for some reason. It got me wondering if there was something important I missed. That's when I noticed Atticus asking about his catch of the day. Jorn hadn't seen any fish. I thought Atticus was just making conversation or joking around, but I think he was on to something. I couldn't know for sure until he came here, but now I'm certain. So do you still want to go home? Carrie shuffled from foot to foot she looked a little hesitant at first but gave him a convicted shake of the head I want to see this through alright let's get back to camp and wait for the beacon to appear again David turned off the camera witness testimony 5 Jorn alright Jorn can you tell me what happened on the morning you reported seeing the beacon what would you say this was for again son school personal interest project could you please answer the question right I was out on Wintergan mountain that morning well you know that already obviously <laughs> and what were you doing there oh right I was fishing see there's a stream that runs down the north side got big old trouts I was hoping to catch some supper so there I was knee deep in the water fishing you know Current was strong and I guess it was pushing pretty hard because my old hips started aching something silly got back on the shore to rest it and I saw this bright light glimmering through the trees what'd you do? well son I grabbed my gear and ran maybe old but I'm not dumb I've heard the stories that light means danger so you didn't try to get a closer look? no son my uncle's cousin's pianos teacher saw the light once. Ran straight for it. never found him. Poor kid. He Say he's probably lost in the wood and died of hypothermia. Terrible way to go, just terrible. So when I saw that light, I knew I had to run. So you went home? Yes, sir. Did you have a good meal that night? What? You were fishing for a few hours before you saw the beacon, right? Did you catch anything? <laughs> right, right, yeah. No, fish weren't biting that morning, I guess. Must have picked a bad spot. <laughs> Did you notice anything else unusual? Not really. Well, come to think about it, my hip felt better by the time I got back into my truck. Weird then, huh? ran all the way down the trail with my tackle box and gear all the way down on a bum hip and still after that it felt better not worse that is weird alright, thank you I think that's all I need if you remember anything else, you have my number sure, thanks son the pieces were slowly coming together but there were still a few things I wanted to know The final clip on David's camera answered the questions I still had. David's camera, clip six. They were both panting heavily as though they'd been running for a while. You sure we're not too close? Worried Carrie. I'm still seeing a few bugs and nests. We're safe, he assured. I can feel the static getting stronger. We'll be okay, insisted David. He lowered his camera from the beacon up in the sky to a clearing ahead of them. A small sand clearing with the trees on the other side. I instantly recognized it as the spot where I'd found his camera. The footage stopped shaking. And I assumed this meant he'd mounted the camera to the tripod. He and Carrie walked in front of it and sat down. The beacon's light visible just above the trees blinked on and off. Carrie rubbed her head. I'm getting dizzy. He placed a hand on her shoulder. Take a deep breath. It'll pass. What do you think will happen? She asked nervously. Nothing if we stay here. The light will go out. He pushed himself to his feet. Wait here. I'll run over to that side and run back. See if I can lure it out. Carrie hugged her legs. David, don't. He turned to her and smiled. I'll be fine. I'm a fast runner. And when I'm not lugging around my heavy-ass camera, he said, using air quotes for that last bit. He dashed toward the other side of the clearing. I felt myself tense in my seat as I watched him go. I had a few ideas of what to expect, but they were thrown out the window when reality struck. Something came out of the beacon. Just for a split second, I had to pause and watch the video in slow motion to see it properly. It looked like lightning, but instead of a bright flash, it was dark. It happened so fast, I'm honestly not sure whether it originated from the beacon and hit the ground, or it came from the ground and hit the beacon. David, something just... Carrie tried to warn, but she didn't need to convince him to come back. David was on his knees in front of her within seconds, panting breathlessly. Out there between the trees, I could see something moving. It blinked in and out of existence at the same rate as the beacon, on and off, there and not, over and over. It was dark, kind of like a shadow, but not as deep black and not as... dense. (laughs) What the hell was that? whispered Carrie as she grabbed her crucifix. David stared dumbfounded. I don't know. I think it screamed, but the sound it made wasn't a yell. It was the hushed yet loud sound of television static, the ripple of radio interference. The entity, standing just slightly shorter than the trees, went running toward the two. Carrie screamed and backed away, but David didn't move creature stopped just inches from the tree line. It swiped its arms around, but David was right. They were out of its range. It's on a leash, said David. I didn't understand what he meant until I slowed the footage. The black bolt of lightning I'd seen earlier? It was still there. Barely perceptible, but still present. It was a jagged string of energy leading from the beacon to the creature. And that's when it hit me. That's when I understood what angler meant. Have you ever seen an anglerfish? They're the really creepy-looking deep-sea fish with the huge fangs. They look terrifying in photos, but in reality, they're actually quite small and harmless to humans. Anglerfish have an interesting way of hunting. They've got this little light dangling from a membrane on their heads used to lure prey in. They wiggle it around. The fish think they're about to get a quick snack. The next thing they know, chomp. They're in the angler's stomach. David was wrong. This thing, whatever it is, wasn't on a leash. It had a tail. And that beacon was a lure at the tip of it light of the beacon went out, and the two sighed in relief. You were right, David. There's nothing to worry about. It couldn't reach us, said Carrie as a nervous laugh came out of her mouth. The fear in her voice gave way to excitement. This is amazing. Please tell me you didn't forget to hit record. Wait until we show this to everyone. They're going to flip out. The two turned toward the camera. I saw it long before they did. The beacon turned back on. This time, however, it was hovering right above the sandy clearing. At first, I thought the camera glitched as the screen became shrieked with black and white lines, but when I slowed the footage, I realized I was wrong. The camera wasn't malfunctioning. The entity had appeared right in between the two in the camera. Its form blinking in and out through the snowy static. Its body was compromised of. I could just barely make out David and Carrie screaming and backing away. It swiped its arm at Carrie, knocking her into the small sand dune. She got back on her feet, but instantly grabbed her head in agony and started squealing louder than a pig at the slaughter. David, ha- help! She started to scream, but her words soon gave way to incomprehensible gurgles. There was a sickening splat. I didn't see what happened to her, because by the time I heard the splat, David was obscuring her from view. But I was about to find out what that splat meant. The creature grabbed David, and he started screaming just as loud as Carrie had. I was able to see with my own two eyes as liquid gushed out of his eyes like a geyser with another terrifying splat. He went limp and then his body slowly disintegrated into static in the Entity's grip. Once he was gone I was able to see Carrie's body in the sand. The Entity grabbed her too and just like Amelia and David before her She dissolved. The light of the twin beacon went out, and the static was gone. If David was right, and his brother knew about the animals sensing and avoiding the area around the entity, then Atticus's mistake was to underestimate it and wrongly assume it couldn't migrate. David's mistake was to not learn from Atticus's. If he genuinely and truly believed Atticus had cracked the mystery, then he should have known that there was no such thing as a safe range. The camera continued to film for another half hour, but there was nothing to see but wind in the trees. There's something on Windgarden Mountain. Some kind of entity made of currents and static. Something that lures unsuspecting hikers to it using nothing but a single blinking light. I believe it now. It took David's footage to fully convince me, but I believe this is real. I'll leave you with how I started this. By saying real or not, you be the judge. As for me, I don't need convincing anymore.